Welcome. Being a veteran means having the honor and privilege to serve our country and to be alongside others who made and continue to make the ultimate sacrifice. Welcome to the Medal of Honor podcast. This is your host, Tiffany Marchik. This week's episode of the Medal of Honor has a special guest. Now, don't get me wrong, all of the guests are special, but in this particular case, I spoke with the granddaughter of a pilot, but not just any pilot, a pilot that flew with the wasp. So growing up, it was kind of unknown, and the only way she really would, you know, get people to know about it is giving talks at schools and going to air shows and things like that. And there was kind of a good group of them that would go out and do these talks all over the country and sometimes overseas even, Um, you know, and that was how they were getting the word out, trying to teach people about what they had done. So that's, yeah, probably like junior high, high school time when I realized, oh, there really were not a lot of these people. In the spring of 2020, one of the courses that I was taking was multiculturalism in the social services. The purpose of this assignment was to learn about a particular demographic, whatever demographic it is that we each chose. I chose women of the military. I thought, why not? It's a demographic that I'm part of, but I honestly couldn't say that I knew the history of women in the military. While doing my research for the paper, I continued on with research even beyond that. I did so because there was a group of women that served in the military that got absolutely no recognition, especially during their time of service. It was the the Women Air Force Service Pilot, or WASP, as many people refer to them as. The WASP flew like 60 million miles in all types of military aircrafts, including fighters and B-17 and B-29 bombers. They paved the way for today's fully vested female military pilots. These women ferried aircraft, cargo, and personnel. They tested aircrafts like through the 48 continental states. They they were fully serving. But the problem is, they weren't getting recognized as military service members. In October of 1944, there was an accident in California killing all the crew members. One of the individuals on this craft, a woman, did not get a funeral with full honors. As a matter of fact, I don't know if she got any kind of military honors, to be honest. At this point, I did a little more research online to see if I could find out more information about how things progressed for women in the military from that point in time. I came across a book called Final Flight, Final Fight. My grandmother, the Wasp, and Arlington National Cemetery. This book was written by someone named Aaron Miller. Aaron Miller is the granddaughter of WASP World War II pilot Elaine Danforth Harmon. If anybody has lost a family member, 
there's a lot of grieving that goes on. But imagine this. Your grandmother passes away and her last dying wish was to be buried at Arlington National Cemetery. So when she passed, what did her family do? They went to Arlington National Cemetery to have their family member laid to rest. The problem is, though, that just wasn't happening. Why? Because Elaine Danforth Harmon was not recognized as a veteran. She wasn't recognized as a veteran because she was a woman who flew, who was a, a service pilot. So this is where Erin Miller really came in to the picture. As if she weren't already because her grandmother passed away. But let me, let me tell you something about Erin. Not only is she the granddaughter of this WASP pilot, she has her Juris Doctorate from University of Maryland School of Law. She has a master's degree in international studies from the University of Leeds in the UK and a Bachelor's of Arts in History from the University of California, San Diego. She is licensed in Maryland as an attorney, and those, those attorney skills that she got was getting ready to be put into use. She was going to fight for her grandmother to be able to be buried in Arlington National Cemetery. But this took a lot of work. And so if you have if you have ever seen a picture of her or even on the cover of her book, you will see that on her right forearm, she has tattooed on her arm 114th Congress, second session, HR4336. What is that? That is the bill that was passed recognizing WASP, WASP pilots as service members. And that's where Martha McSally, who wrote the foreword in this book, came into play. Here's something that Martha McSally had written as part of the foreword. She said, In the fight for Elaine and the WASP, which I was honored to lead in Congress, Democrats and Republicans came together to right a wrong. Erin takes you with her on that mission through the halls of Congress, on social media, and in multiple media interviews to raise awareness, build support, and affect change. I'm very excited that you're, you know, you've stayed connected uh, in my story in the WASP. And growing up, I always knew what my grandmother did. When I was very small, I had a t-shirt that said Gammy flew planes in World War II. I mean, I'm talking like four years old, tiny. And, you know, we always knew what she did because right around the time I was born was when they were going to Congress to try to get recognized as veterans. So from that point forward, she was always going to schools and giving talks and things like that. So I always knew what she did. I assumed everyone else knew what she did. I thought everyone's grandma flew planes during World War II. I thought that's what grandmas did. I thought that was their job. So, <laughs> of course, that's obviously not true. But that was when I was very small. I thought everyone's grandma did that. And when I was at school, I'd be like, oh, what kind of plane did your grandma fly? Or like, you know, and they would be like, what are you talking about? So, you know, kids thought I was crazy. But, you know, growing up, I thought that was normal. I thought everyone did that. And it was probably not until 
maybe junior high school, you know, when I was old enough to realize when we started, you know, studying World War II in school and reading, you know, we read the diary of Anne Frank and we read a lot about World War II when I understood this was a much bigger situation. What my grandma did was not very well known. There were not very many of them. There were only 13 from the state of Maryland that finished training and and went and worked for the WASP. So it, it was not as I realized at that point that it was a small thing. And back at that time, we didn't have the internet. They were not really in books uh, or the encyclopedia. There was really nothing written about them. And so teachers didn't even know about them. And my fellow students didn't know about them. It was just like me and my grandma. And the only reason I knew about it is because she was my grandma. So growing up, it was kind of unknown. And the only way she really would, you know, get people to know about it is giving talks at schools and going to air shows and things like that. And there was kind of a good group of them that would go out and do these talks all over the country and sometimes overseas even. Um, You know, and that was how they were getting the word out and trying to teach people about what they had done. So that's, yeah, probably like junior high, high school time when I realized, oh, there really were not a lot of these people. (laughs) Fast forward to when, you know, her last few months or years of life what what was that like um as you as she approached uh death so from the time in the 70s until she was probably around 90 she would go out and give talks to schools and things in her uniform she went to the white house multiple times and since she lived near washington dc she was always getting invited to you know represent the wasp at different events she was always very busy and active in this in this thing when she was about 90 or so is when she really got to the point where she couldn't really go out and do these things anymore. And she was diagnosed with breast cancer around age, I want to say like 85. And she seemed fine for quite a few years, but then it started really getting to her. And the last few years were, you know, she started deteriorating somewhat quickly, but she lived nearby. And I used to take her to the VA medical center in Washington, DC to do her chemo treatment sometimes. And we kind of my uncle and my mom, you know, our different members of the family would help her take her to her appointments and that type of thing. So I, I went quite a few times to take her to her appointments. And she was it was like being with a rock star at the VA Medical Center. It was really weird. Like people would be like, oh, my gosh, are you a wasp? And they all, all want to talk to her like while I'm wheeling her into chemo. <laughs> and I'm like, Grant, I would be like, Yami, we have to like come a little earlier to your appointments because all these people want to like take pictures with you and like talk to you. So, you know, we have to be on time to chemo. And um, they actually, VA did uh, an interview with her once and while she was at chemo one time and talked about the WASP and it's on the VA medical center blog somewhere. Um, Yeah. She actually liked going to, to, to her chemo treatment because she was mostly in the house all the time by then. She liked going to VA. She said she liked seeing all the other veterans and talking to them about their different service and meeting lots of people because she was always by herself at the house. It's like her social time. She's like, chemo's not that bad. I get to see a lot of people. I'm like, okay, grandma. (laughs) I guess you always have to have that positive spin on things. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now, at what point in time is, I think, the Congressional Gold Medal. When did that come about? So I will say um, Nicole Malakowski, if you know who she is, she was um, the first female Thunderbird pilot. She was assigned as a, a White House fellow in 2000, I guess 2008, 2009 timeframe. 
And her project she decided to work on was to try to get the Women Air Force Service pilots the Congressional Gold Medal. Uh, because you have to, in order to do that, you have to get a bill passed through Congress and then signed by the president awarding this medal. So that was her project. So she wrote the bill and walked around Congress and, and got a bunch of people to agree that the WASP indeed deserved the Congressional Gold Medal and got it signed by President Obama. And my grandmother was actually invited to be in the Oval Office when he signed the bill. And Nicole obviously was there, too, because she was there at the time. And two other WASP were there, B. Haydu and Lorraine Rogers in the office. And then there were a couple other um, Air Force women that were um, there while he signed the bill. So, uh, yeah. And then at that point, I think they were on the front page of the Washington Post after that bill got um, signed. And then they, that was in the summer of 2009. And then the following March in 2010, they actually had the ceremony at the Capitol and passed the, you know, had the, the, the like, ceremonial medal that I think is in the Smithsonian. And then they, everyone got like these replica medals. And my grandmother went to that and Nicole was there and she spoke. And I didn't get to go to that because I was in California, I think, and I was coming back soon. I couldn't come, but my sister went, my mom and a couple of my relatives. And I think like 300 wasp went, something like that, maybe more. And a lot of their families, anyway, it was a lot of people. So it was a big deal. And, and from that point forward, the wasp really got a lot more well-known like people learned about them more because they were in newspapers and people were talking about them and so from that point forward there were a lot of um more opportunities that they were offered to go speak and, and do documentaries and things so that was a good way to get people to learn about what they had done the first thing that comes to mind when i think of being a veteran is sacrifice because you sacrifice a lot and if you're out there trying to raise a family while in the military, they also sacrifice a lot. Um, and I would also say pride, because when I look at the faces of my family as they talk about my career, and, and I know how very proud they are of me, that gives me great joy. And for every soldier that served with me, um, thank you. Thank you, because you contributed to my career. And if you're serving today, I commend you. And I would say, do not be a 60% soldier. Be 100% every day. So when you look at the mirror at the end of the day, you also have pride. I would say to you, be safe and God bless. You know, when I go to air shows and things and, and I meet people, a lot of them have met my grandma. So it's kind of interesting because she spent, like I said, like 40, 50 years going around doing all this stuff and met all these people. And people were like, oh, I knew your grandma. And it's so, it's so weird. <laughs> so it was 2008. The official ceremony for the Congressional Gold Medal has been awarded. And your grandmother's still going around to schools, making presentations. And she has this diagnosis of breast cancer. Yeah, at that point, she already had breast cancer for a few years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, got it. All right. She died in 2015. So, and she had already been diagnosed like for, I don't know, 10 years or something. So okay. this was in the middle of all of that. But yeah, she, weirdly enough, she was like, yeah, I don't know. Like, sometimes I feel sick, but I'm mostly fine. It, it was very, I don't know, she's very nonchalant about it. <laughs> well, she complained about a lot of different things, but not like her <laughs> personal, like being in pain or anything, um, you know, about the decline of society and that type of thing, but not like being in pain or anything. There was one time um, kind of near 
when she, before she died, not too long before she, she said she had this brain tumor that developed and she said her head really hurt. And I had to take her to the emergency room with my mom and get some medication. And and I knew it must've really been bad because she never complained about anything. And the fact that she said her head hurt really bad, it must've hurt really, really bad. Did anything come of that tumor? Was it? Um, yeah. And that's why she died. So she, it wasn't because of the breast cancer. It was because of this. So the breast cancer actually metastasized through her bones and went into her head. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So yeah, metastasized through her bone that you have a bone in your ear. It came out through there and created a big tumor that spread into her brain. And they tried to do, they did radiation at least once, maybe twice. And then like tried to shrink it and a little bit, but it just, they couldn't really get rid of it. So. No, I mean, yeah, it's, it's something It's something I learned, too. I never, you know, something I never thought about. Like, you get breast cancer, but you you really have... She really technically had breast cancer in her brain. So you're just like, that's just weird. You never... Yeah. I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I'm sure doctors yeah. know, know this, but I, you know, I don't think about that. So now for the... Now for the Aaron Miller part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so your, your grandmother's, I, I think... Because I, I read your book, and I think one of the, the like the premise of your book it was about you know her her last wish was to be buried in Arlington. She passes away, and then what? So she passed away in April 2015, and she wanted to be laid to rest at Arlington Cemetery. Her body was cremated because she had donated her body to the Maryland anatomy board which does you know you can donate your body for science and at some point they send it back cremated so they sent it back cremated and then my mom called Arlington to apply to have her there and they said it was fine but then a month later they called back and said it's not fine so we learned that about a month before my grandmother died the army had done a legal review for some reason and written a memo saying that the wasp are not eligible to be at Arlington Cemetery So my grandfather was not in the military because he had a heart condition and wasn't, he was 4F. So he was a civilian. So a lot of the wasps that are buried in Arlington are buried with their spouse who was also in the service. So even though they were allowed to be there for quite a while, they didn't actually get military funerals. So my grandmother was a interesting case because she wanted to be there on her own. She didn't have a spouse there. And they had written this memo a month before she died. So then my mom asked me to help her look up all the rules about this. And I was reading the old law from 1977 that granted them veterans benefits. And I told my mom, well, technically what the army is saying is correct because Arlington, as you know, is run by the army and the rest of the military cemeteries around the country are run by the Department of Veterans Affairs. And the rule that the law that they wrote in 1977 said that the WASP and these other different groups that got benefits eventually uh, were recognized for laws administered by the Department of Veterans Affairs. And that is the argument the Army was using, like, well, VA doesn't run the cemetery, so they can't be here. So basically, they were saying that she was a veteran in one part of the government, but not another part of the government. So I told my mom that, and I was like, they're not technically wrong. Like, this is a valid argument. Obviously, I don't like this argument, but, like, it's a valid argument. and. I said, if you really want to fix this, I think you have to get a law passed through Congress to force them to to fix this rule because technically it's a rule. Like they could 
you know, they, they have regulations. They can make their own regulations if they want. But I said, if they change it, then they're just going to, you know, in a year, they can just change it back or do whatever they want. And if you get a law passed, at least it will force them to, in theory, have a permanent, you know, regulation about this. That's not to say it could never, ever be changed and make it a lot harder, though. So my mom was like, okay, wow. Uh, <laughs> so then we contacted um, Senator Mikulski, who was our senator at the time, who she's retired now. And we basically waited a couple months and got a package back saying, yeah, this is what the Army says. Sorry, we can't be more helpful. And I was like, what? This is not acceptable. So then I started a social media campaign and posted a picture on Veterans Day, I think, of my grandma's urn and was basically like, my grandma died and and they won't recognize her as a veteran and she wants to be at Arlington and they won't let her in and da 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 da. And all these people started responding and it kind of went viral. And then I had an idea and my sister, a bunch of people in my family kind of had a simultaneous idea to do a petition on change.org. So we had that. And then I was trying to get in touch with reporters and I got in contact with a reporter in the area, Andrew McCarran, who did uh, a lot of like veteran stories in the DC area. So she agreed to do a story about us. And I went and interviewed with her. And that was like a really big breaking point of the story because then the Associated Press found us and they did a huge story that went like all over the planet. Like my sister was finding stories in Japan and like Sweden and like all over the place. So then it really got a lot of attention. And that's where Martha McSally, who was in Congress at the time, her staff found it. And that's how she found out about it. So I have a so I have a question. And this is, you know, like a, a part of, of a clarification. So... She had veteran status through the VA, but not through the Department of Defense. Is that? Yeah, it's very confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 even within the VA, it can be kind of confusing. Like, but uh, Yeah, it's very confusing. Um, even my grandmother had gone to Congress in 1981 to testify because she um, had applied for a federal job. And, you know, when you apply for a federal job, there's a box to get like veterans preference points. And she apparently had checked that box. And then OPM, who does the application process, told her like she can't check the box because she's not a veteran in like the OPM system, only in VA system or something. And she was like, what? So then she went to Congress and testified again about in 1981 about this issue. And she's like, well, you passed this law and like suddenly we're veterans, but only like in one part of the government, not the rest of the government. Like this doesn't make sense. And she actually talks about burial benefits in that in that um, testimony, but I couldn't ever find up any follow-up that any of the Congress people did about that question. She was like, I've heard some of the WASP families are having problems with burial benefits. And someone was like, oh, okay, we'll have to check that. And then like, I never found anything about it. So ironically, that was like 40 years before this all happened. Yeah. So yeah, they were, you know, if you look at her DD-214, which you know what that is, in the in the other box in her DD-214, there's a little asterisk, and it said this is only applicable for laws administered by the Veterans Administration. So that's what they were trying to say is like, she's a veteran only to get literally actual veterans benefits, like going to VA, and that was it. So you did something during World War II, but not enough to call you a real legit veteran. Yeah. A, not to be a veteran at all. And then when they do call you one, only to be one like in very limited part of the government somehow. Yeah. See about that. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I'm, here's what I'm thinking about now 
is like nowadays, and I'm a veteran too, so, you know, some of these things I find myself getting frustrated with the VA uh, for one thing or another. But then when I think about what my frustrations are compared to what it was when she was fighting to get recognition, it's not the same at all. Yeah, there's there's different levels and people who have been in the service really appreciate dealing with all the bureaucracy and that she was at like a next level situation, you know, and I think most people can appreciate it just generally when you have a problem dealing with the bureaucracy of the government sometimes can be very overwhelming and difficult and frustrating. So when you when you when you guys were uh, when you guys were interacting with the army, um, was I know that I know that the army and the O guard and uh, Third Infantry they they uh, run Arlington, but who is it that owns it? Like who makes that decision when it comes to that? So the Department of the Army, the civilian department that oversees the army, runs Arlington Cemetery. And the rest of the military cemeteries, which we have some more than 136 of them across the country now, are run by the Department of Veterans Affairs. And they've tried various times of the years in Congress to move Arlington under VA so that they're all under the same thing. And the Army always manages to, to have it not get done. So, yeah, so the Department of Army runs it. And then obviously, like, you know, the Guard and whoever are in Arlington itself, they're not really making decisions, but they're there like carrying out all of the funerals and everything. And yeah. See, I thought, I thought that it would have been, and this just shows my, my ignorance. I thought that the, like Arlington would have just been like maybe owned by the department of defense and run by the army. Um, just as they needed somebody to, to manage it and run it. But, um, yeah, so the Department of the Army is the one that's actually in charge of it. So, however, that is on paper. I, I'm not exactly 100% certain, yeah. but they're the ones that make these decisions on behalf of the cemetery. Yeah. And and they actually, at the time, there was an acting secretary, and he was like, I support you. Like, I think this is fine, but like, legally, we don't have the actual legal process to do this. And they said we could file to have an exception made and they would probably have granted that. But like I said before, if you apply for an exception and it's like, okay, my grandma's in there, but now what about all these other people? Are they all going to have to apply for an exception? And it's not just my grandma. This law that was passed in 1977 applies to 38 groups. So the merchant Marines of World War II, the Filipino scouts is like a whole bunch of people. And that we're all serving in a civilian capacity, but really working for the, the armed forces and we're not recognized properly. So all of those people theoretically, you know, we're, wouldn't have to constantly be applying for exceptions. And it just seemed ridiculous that we would have to ask for an exception to have my grandmother have her service recognized as a veteran to be at Arlington because we weren't even asking for her to be buried there. We, she was cremated, so they have inurnment, which if you want to be inurned there, which means have your ashes put in there in the cemetery, you only at the time have to have one day of active duty service. So she certainly met that, you know. And to, to have them say, like, no, she doesn't qualify was just ridiculous. 
Yeah. So it, it, it is. Um, I, it doesn't pay, pass the common sense test, so I don't get it. Um, <laughs> and so being the being the person that she was, being the person that you guys were, you said, you know what, we're going to make this happen. And so you you got this movement. You you did the change.org um, to raise awareness. You're getting all of these interviews now. Um, and then at some point you decided, you know what, fine, we're going to pass a bill. Yeah, it was one of those things like I started doing it. And I wasn't 100% sure what it was going to look like right when I started. But I was basically like, we need attention for this issue. We need people to pay attention and know what's going on. And then I figured if we did that, it would like clarify my pathway, which it did, because that's how we found Martha, who was serving in Congress at the time. So she, at the time, was in the House of Representatives from Arizona, and her staff found this and were like, this is something she would totally care about. So she came forward and, and wrote a bill and introduced it on January 6th in 2016. So then from that point on, I was like, okay, now I spent a couple months in Congress walking around, and I visited more than 150 offices on Capitol Hill talking to members of the House and the Senate and their staff and emailing everybody and doing news stories and interviews and, and making sure that everybody knew what was going on and, and would support this bill and get it to first get it to actually be voted on. And then. Hi, this is John McCaskill, recently retired Navy SEAL commander. I just wanted to say uh, what an honor it was to serve as a, as a service member within the Navy and, uh, and what an honor it is now to be a veteran serving my fellow veterans in the nonprofit space. Thank you to all those who serve uh, or have served in in or out of uniform as a, as a service member or as a family member. So thank you to all the veterans out there and we remember and honor you. Thanks. Thank you, have a nice day. Thank you and have a nice day.